Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey everyone, it's Chris Platty here. Now really quick before today's episode starts, um, just some quick housekeeping stuff. So please, if if you do not already, please follow me on all of the social medias, mainly Twitter and Instagram, at RealChrisPlatty, C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. If you don't know how to spell real, don't follow. Just kidding, follow anyways, that's a catchphrase, don't get offended, I'm rolling with it. Now today's episode is going to be very fun. Uh, earlier this week, I did a deep dive on the Eastern Conference with Lior Kozai and Philip Rossman Rayek. That was a very, very fun episode. Um, and also earlier in the week with uh, Nick, we talked Pistons, Pacers, Nets, Hawks. So the East was pretty much entirely covered. Now in the West, uh, we, we talked about six teams that were very interesting. We talked about on the first side, Jeff and I, if you remember Jeff from the preseason podcast for the... Uh, Southwest Division preview. Yes, that's where he, that's where he is. He covers the Spurs. So we talked Spurs and Portland, two teams that were in the playoffs last year that are out of the playoffs right now, currently, and looking in danger. And then on the other side of it, at fan favorite Tim, aka Cranch, it's McBasketball, host of the host of the Basketball Index podcast and creator of the Basketball Index website. Um, we talked about the Lakers, the Clippers. Of course, we had to talk to LA teams. You know how Tim is. And then we had, and then we talked the the fun Phoenix Suns. And we also talked about Houston Rockets and how they've turned it around recently. Um, I'm thinking later in the week I want to dive in on some of those other Western Conference teams that I did not mention that I did not cover uh, last week. I talked about Dallas and and some of the other teams uh, in the West, Golden State as well. I had the the big Golden State rant, so check that out if you missed that. That was with uh, Nikki Ducey of the Dead End family. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe getting a, another NBA podcast out there um, by the end of the week, if not early next week. Um, YouTube, working on some stuff, working on some big projects, going to start doing all my year-end, decade-end projects. I got multiple coming. I don't want to spoil them all because they're really... Um, they're really special, and I'm, I'm really, really excited to get these out there because I put a lot of work into them. But the best way to stay tuned, I'm probably going to make those announcements on uh, my, my Twitter or my Instagram, so stay tuned there. But without further ado, let's get to today's episode, a Western Conference deep dive. Let's go. All 
right, hello everyone, and welcome to the first part of this Strictly Hoop Talk podcast, doing a deep dive on the Western Conference. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty, and returning to the podcast is my man Jeff Garcia, Spurs reporter for News Sports San Antonio and Fox 29 San Antonio, and host of the Lockdown Spurs and NBA 2K beat reporter. All of those things, Jeff, keep you very busy. How are you doing besides all that? Exactly that. Keep you very busy. Um, you know, the NBA season is already uh, here. The NBA 2K League, uh, it's in its offseason. You know, they're doing the combines right now for the potentials and hopefuls. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, good thing, though, is that the 2K League and the NBA season, they kind of end and begin at the same time. So when the NBA season is like maybe in the finals, the 2K League's already starting up. So mm-hmm. it kind of works out. But, um, yeah, uh, Western Conference is interesting. Uh, so far, so bad for my San Antonio Spurs. So <laughs> let's dive into this. Yeah, let's dive into it. So I want to focus on two teams. There there are currently four teams that are outside of the, the playoffs that were on the playoffs last year, but two teams that are alarming, and that is San Antonio and Portland, both at the bottom of the Western Conference standings here. 13th uh 13th place for Portland at 5 and 10 and the Spurs also at 5 and 10 14th yeah. place. Now let let's start with the Spurs because that's the team that you cover. Um they've lost 7 7 straight. They're 1 at, mm-hmm. 1 and 9 in their last 10. Most of mm-hmm. them close games. Their net rating uh their net rating suggests they're about middle tier team but still losses are losses. Um they're the third worst defense in the league. Um, they're they're surprisingly fourth in offense. I didn't think they were that high. I thought they were closer to like eighth or tenth in the league, but uh, but fourth in offense. Um, they're just their defense though is really the issue that I see. They're they're um, leaving a lot of they're they're leaving a lot of perimeter looks open, or they're just giving up way too many open looks from three. But then they're also getting beat inside the paint and in and in transition and all three of those things are the way that NBA teams prefer to score nowadays so it's not necessarily <laughs> like you're um like you're really uh i guess i i guess defending the way the NBA is played nowadays but um defense is obviously the big problem and I'm sure that's I'm sure that's what you're looking at as well what do you see specifically from the defense for San Antonio and do you see anything that uh, gives you uh, that gives you encouragement that it should turn around. Uh, as of right now, no. I, I think what the problem is is that you nailed it on the head. It's defense, but the roster doesn't screen defenders. Yeah. Um, at least major defenders. Now, you know, you tip your hat to Dejounte Murray. You know, he mm-hmm. did get a nod for the All NBA Second Defensive Team pre injury, and you know, Derek White uh, emerged uh, last season. At, as a good defender, but they're not great. Right. You, you look at DeMar DeRozan, obviously that's not a defender. You look at Brent Forbes, Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, um, you know, to a certain degree, maybe LaMarcus Aldridge, just because sometimes he has that lack of aggression. Trey Lyles, you know, all down the road, you know, it doesn't look, the makeup of the team isn't built for defense. Now, it's built for offense. The Spurs' second unit ranks top five in scoring. Uh, they have multiple players that come off that bench and can pour in double-digit scoring nights. Obviously, DeMar DeRozan is DeMar DeRozan. He does what he does, which is score. He just had 30-plus a night versus Washington in a loss. But if defense wins titles and defense wins games and playoff series, then the Spurs are not it. Uh, <laughs> the problem is is 
is just who they trot out. Now, they could go and put out Derek White and Murray starting backwards, but they haven't done that yet, which is perplexing. Uh, Popovich, in my opinion, I think he wants to have some sort of a, a punch off that bench and splitting them up, in his opinion, and his thought process. I mean, he is a five-time NBA uh, champion as a head coach. Uh, he sees fit. And to a certain degree, that makes sense. You want to have White coming off that bench or Murray coming off that bench, as we saw, versus um, Washington. But then who does he go with? Well, let's take a look at the loss against Washington. He goes with Patty Mills, the starting point guard, alongside Bryn Forbes. Again, doesn't scream perimeter defense. So is this just a bad mix right now defensively? Uh, they're getting stomped as far as opposing point, opposing teams' points in the paint uh, to the tune of 47 on up points per game. I mean, it's just really bad. I mean, they could just score at will in the paint, uh, opposing teams. And what they should do, I just think either A, they should start Murray and White together, B, dare I say, bench LaMarcus Aldridge uh, to have him come out with the second unit and be a more potent second uh, unit with LMA and maybe start Pirtle, maybe start um, Rudy Gay. You know, there's just so, there's so many ways they can maybe band-aid this, but they haven't done it yet. And what's frustrating is that could, you know, the more the more they lose, the, and they're playing in the West – not only they got to build as of we speak right now a five game deficit just to get to 500, then they got to go above and beyond that to start uh, really competing in the West. Right. And you got the Lakers starting to run away. You got the Clippers, you know, now with PG 13 and Kawhi together in the same court. Dallas is kind of having a resurgence right now. Uh, Denver is Denver and Houston is Houston. So the, the, there's big issues right now. They got to turn it around. The players spoke after the loss to Washington. Uh, specifically, um, DeMar DeRozan, he said, you know, there's still plenty of games left. He said it's not like they're 50 games in or 40 games in. So there is that. There's still time. But the longer it takes, the worse it gets, it's going to get, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's why I think that's why I think they have to, like you said, do what, what you were suggesting with the lineups and, and really just tinker with um, both the units and the lineups. Uh, one of the things I thought that, Coming into the season, that worked in San Antonio's favor when I had you on the uh, preseason podcast was their flexibility, especially along the wings, um, having all of those options. You would think that, yeah, well, again, the majority of them don't dis- uh, scream defensive stoppers. You would think that pop being pop and also um, the player's level of talent that you could in, that you could plug uh, you could mix and match and, and still keep a, a healthy balance on both ends of the floor. But uh, but quite frankly, San Antonio is not getting that. And right. you know, the number of quality defenders on this team is less than I even thought coming into the season. And <laughs> so, and, and so that, that's making it, that's making it really, really, really tough for San, An- San Antonio to really um, progress. That's, it, it really does look bleak at this moment. Uh, I'm still going to give them a benefit of the doubt and say that they're right. not they're, that they're not this team because uh, Pop is Pop. He always seems to figure something out and always get the most out of players. So, I, but I but I do really really start to concern about their uh, about their playoff chances just because, like you said, I mean you look up and down this roster and unless somebody has uh, 
has huge progression overnight, there's there's really not that many solutions uh, that that they have. Now they could do something else. They could also do this. Maybe play Damari Carroll a little bit more than what he has yeah, true. Uh, been playing. You know, he is a three and D guy, but he hasn't really got a lot of burn. They could go with Lonnie Walker. Now he's unproven. Uh, you know, really hasn't got uh, too much time in the NBA level. But you know, hey, at this point of the season, what can it hurt? You know, they're five and ten, and you know, with a with a game here and a game there, and then um, you look at. Uh, you know, maybe his development, maybe he can turn into that type of player. Rudy Gay has been a very vocal about seeing young Lonnie Walker get some run. Uh, but so far, so nothing, basically. Uh, yeah. Popovich just sticks to his vets. You know, he'll trot out uh, DeMar, uh, sorry, Marco Bellinelli. Yeah. He'll trot out these weird lineups and, you know, it is what it is. If the Spurs, the Spurs can do two things. They can either one, if they're if they're a potent offensive team as you just mentioned right now, then go with that. Then become that potent offensive team, and try to just go ABA old school style and just run people out of the out of the gym. Yeah. But they got to get stops. You know, they tried that against uh, Washington and it just wasn't enough. Or they can just call it the season and develop their young uh, players that you're seeing stashed. In um, in Austin in the G League, such as your Kelton Johnsons, your um, you know Luca Samaniches, and et cetera, et cetera. So the Spurs got to do some stuff, and it begins and ends with Greg Popovich. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Now, looking at their their next five games, it's uh, it's not exactly easy. They have they have New York, which is um, which is New York. But they have Philly on the road, and they have the Lakers, Minnesota, and the Clippers all at home, which are right now three playoff teams. I know not everybody's bought into Minnesota. I'm not fully yet bought in either. But as of right now, they're a better team than San Antonio, so you can't you can't take those wins lightly. And like you said on your lockdown podcast, which I thought was brilliant, uh, is that the Spurs that we that we might be past the days assuming the Spurs have this this game won. You know, looking at yeah. the schedule and, and being like, yep, that's a win for San Antonio. That's where this is where they'll start to turn around this, this and that. I, I think those days are kind of done. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. I, I cannot look at that Nick game ahead of, right now and say, you know what? That's that's OK. Yeah. You know, they should do that because they barely squeaked by New York in their opening night game versus uh, the Knicks. It wasn't easy. They had to fight tooth and nail to get a W. And when they started out. 3-0, and even as great as that was, there were still signs of this to come. Their uh, win differential, I think, was barely at like a plus 5. So they were just barely eking out these games. And, and now we're seeing, you know, teams settling in, uh, starting to get the chemistry down, uh, and taking it to San Angeles. What well, the problem is, too, is that I'm noticing the thread as well uh, when it comes to uh, other teams and how they view the Spurs. I'll give an example. Um, I believe it was a Clippers um, Zubach, and they asked him uh, post game about facing Lamarcus Aldridge, and he says, "Oh, it was easy because he just likes to pump fake and then do this, and I just take away this and I'm good." And you fast forward to the game against uh, the Wizards and the former Spur Bertans uh, said similar same thing. No, I'm sorry, uh, Coach Brooks said something ahead of the game saying. 
We know DeMar likes to pump fake. We know they like to take mid-range. We know uh, LMA does the mid-range game and pump fakes. They're too predictable, and that yeah. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a very interesting next five games, I think. I think that's really going to uh, – really start to tell a lot because if they can't uh if they can't win at, at least two or three of those of those next five games it, it, it does this road gets increasingly tougher i mean people mm-hmm. think about uh people really often don't look at like five game stretches as a as a big deal but when you're san antonio and you're in this deficit these five games that close out in november are absolutely critical now again i do have some faith because of the number that i brought up earlier that things will turn at least somewhat in their direction because of their net rating being so close um mm-hmm. it, it shows that they are losing a lot of these games by you know a shot or two and if they could just improve marginally defensively right uh, or or if they can just hit one or two more shots like you said going the aba style like if mm-hmm. they could get one or two more buckets, then things could start to turn around. And they are one thing we didn't mention is they are a great rebounding team as well. Yes, they are. So, yeah. um, and, so those, and 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 a good second unit. They have a really yes. good second unit. Yes. So those things are the things to be optimistic about. But I think it's time to start looking at San Antonio as an overall flawed team. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see exactly what happens. And um, my my concern here too is that. If losing settles in, um, DeMar DeRozan, after the loss to uh, the Wizards, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, said something to, along the lines of every loss in this losing streak feels worse and worse. So you don't want that kind of mindset settling in with this, this team it's so early in the season. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very uh, – I didn't catch that quote. That's actually very uh, very alarming to hear from one of your from one of your star players one of your highest paid players um are you ready to jump to portland let's do it all right let's do it so portland is the other team that i mentioned that's just near the bottom of the west with uh san antonio right there also at five and ten portland uh, they've had no power forward to start the season prompting them to sign carmelo uh, the team's mm-hmm. been just incredibly banged up with Rodney Hood, Collins, now Whiteside. Dame even missed a game. Uh, C.J. McCollum's been inconsistent. Their defense just isn't there. 22nd in defense, uh, 13th in offense. I believe a lot of the defensive falloff is because of the fact that they lost Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, those those valuable switching defenders, as well as, uh, as, well as Evan Turner. So, these are uh, the those little acquisitions. While they compromised them a little bit offensively, um, they they were they were a lot of the backbone of the team's defense, and so so you're seeing that you're seeing that play out. Um, they're, and again, they're thirteenth in offense. Um, are you? Do you have any faith that this is a team that can turn it around? Now they're two. They're uh, let's see. They're two and eight in their last in their last ten. I think they can. Uh, you know, I, I, correct. I, I may have missed, didn't hear you uh, correctly, but Nurchik, is he coming back or is he, you know, still far out? Um, I I honestly haven't had the the latest update on that. Okay. I, I've I've always heard from the beginning of the season. I'm still going off that, which is which is you know, New Year, January, February ish. Okay, I think he changes everything because they lack size, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, getting Melo didn't really 
help, uh, I mean, in my opinion. Um, what are you going to do with him once they get the full roster back? I mean, Dame, he was out. You know, that's why Melo got the start. So he comes back. Okay, great. So Melo goes to the bench. Nurture comes back. I think that helps. Uh, this is a team that is almost similar to the Spurs. You have two all-stars, McCollum and Lillard, DeRozan and Aldridge, that are on teams that are good, but are they megastar players? And I, I, as great as Dame is and, and uh, Damar is, they're not. Can they carry these teams to the promised land? I don't think so. I think they need help. Um, and help doesn't come in the form of Melo, who's an ISO player and needs the ball in his hands. Um, you've factor in this too, that they're also behind the eight ball as well with their, their record. And they're in a division that's competitive. <laughs> yeah. Their division is um, brutal. <laughs> yeah. Their division is just brutal. And to make matters worse, um, they, they're, they're looking at becoming that team. You know, the spur, and what I mean by that is that team that never could. And mm-hmm. they're there. And I think they need to do something now. Mellow was not the answer. What they should have done is look for a big, you know, letting go of Harkless, Amino, uh, Leonard. That hurt them big time. And you're seeing it right now. Yeah. Yeah, they have, uh, they have almost nothing on their front line. It is so depleted. Um, they just had to even release Pau Gasol because even his rehab just wasn't going uh, going on schedule, and they were looking at it like we do really have to make a move now. So we have to. I be- I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that releasing Pau was gave them the spot for Melo, or mm-hmm. is that or or is that giving them another spot on their roster? I I'm not too I sure. Think, on that. I think it gives them another spot on the roster. Okay. Why do I know that? Because Spurs fans are saying trade LaMarcus Aldridge to Portland because <laughs> they have a spot. That's why I know that. Okay, okay. That, make, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, Portland, I do have more faith because of the fact that Dame is, you know, he finished uh, he finished top five in MVP voting last year. Now, granted, uh, again, he, he does have to have a lot around him, but I do think I do think comparing him to DeRozan is a bit unfair. I think Dame can elevate a team higher and carry yeah. a team uh, and, and do uh, more with less than uh, as a as compared to DeRozan. But I but I see where you're going with that analogy. The problem is Portland has so little nothing. I mean they have they have even less than the 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 Spurs really. If I'm looking at that, especially at the front line, it's just so thin. And now yeah, Whiteside might miss needed. tonight. It's gonna be yeah. it. They're going to be playing like Scal, uh, Scal Bissier, like you know, forty minutes tonight. It's in it, mellow like another thirty-four. Like that's going to be their front line for tonight if Whiteside can't play. So it's just, it, it's really, it's really hurt them. Like you said, losing all three of those guys, Al Farouk Aminu, Harkless, and Myers Leonard, who I didn't, who I didn't mention. Um, but yeah, they they really need Nurkic to come back, and they not only need Nurkic to come back. But they need him to be like Nurkic right away, so it, it's yeah. it's a tough situation for Portland. It's a very very tough situation. Um, I, I that the front line scares me with just how thin it is, but I would give them I would give them 
uh, a benefit of the doubt. And honestly, the only reason I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt right now is because of the fact that I was the, I was the guy who really just picked against Portland every single year. Like, like I was one of the, I was one of the only people that called the first round upset when, uh, when they got swept by Davis and the Pelicans. So I, I've been always picking on them. And then the following year I said they weren't going to make the playoffs and then they made the Western conference finals. So I've always been bullish on Portland. So I think they've, after like four or five years of picking against them, I think, I think I, I have to give them my benefit of the doubt, at least for this season. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, for me, the jury's still out. I got to see if they can push beyond, um, take the next step, you know, and, you know, them giving passes like, well, they, they got swept in the first round and now they've asked to the semifinals and now they go to the conference finals. What's their next step? You know, are they going to be that Cinderella team that just never could? And I, I to me, in my opinion, I think they will be. So, yeah. I, yeah. I would I would put money on that if I had if yeah. I had to if I had to bet which way this team plays out. This team is a good team, a very solid a, a very solid team, one fully healthy, a capable playoff team that if things break right can go far in the playoffs, but if things break wrong can be a first round team. Like that's really yeah. I mean, looking at what happened last year in the playoffs for Portland, it was very no one can deny that things broke entirely right for them. You know, not mm-hmm. saying that yeah. they didn't. Not saying that they didn't fully earn what they got, um, you know, because you still have to play the games and you still have to win, but they got on the side of the bracket that wasn't Houston or Golden State. Um, you know, things just things just really worked. They played an inexperienced Denver in the second round. So things just kind of played, uh, and OKC was a mess in the first round. So things kind of worked Portland's way. Now, again, they still had to win those games, but uh, I, think we'd, I think we'd be... Um, I think we'd be playing ourselves to suggest, to not point out that that things did really break right for them last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all right, Jeff. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, man, and talking Portland and San Antonio. I greatly appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, so I'll let you get going. But before <laughs> before you get going, why don't you plug all the latest stuff that you're doing? Sure. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Jeff G Spurs Zone. Go to the Spurs Zone, which you can find at News4 San Antonio and Fox29SanAntonio.com. Uh, you can get everything under the sun when it comes to silver and black. From the latest episode of Lockdown Spurs, where we discuss tinkering the lineups, to uh, DeJounte Murray officially announcing he is with New Balance. And uh, you can check out the premiere video of his signature shoe. So it's like it looks like a good shoe, but I don't know if Spurs fans are going to like that, you know, because the whole Kawhi thing. But anyway, it's there. <laughs> Go check it out of the Spurs Zone. And again, subscribe to Lockdown Spurs wherever you get your favorite podcast. Yes, thank you, Jeff, for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate it. And I'll have to have you back on the podcast soon. Um, hopefully hopefully it'll be, it'll be better news for San Antonio. <laughs> Crossing fingers, buddy. <laughs> Take care. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. And here for the second part of this Western Conference deep dive, you know I had to give my fa- my favorite guy to talk Lakers with and to talk basketball with. That is Crancis McBasketball, host of the or well creator of the Basketball Index website. Tim, how you doing? I'm good, Chris, and also host of the uh, Basketball Index podcast too. So you yeah. you had that one right as well. And I'm glad that you saved all the good teams for us to talk about. <laughs> yeah, man, I saved all the interesting teams. I was thinking about that on the last side. I talked um, some of the teams I talked were San Antonio and Portland. So you you made out. 
Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I did. I think we, we got all the, the fun, exciting ones in this group other than maybe, I guess, the Mavs we're not really hitting on, and they've been exciting. But we've got some good ones to talk about today. I'm excited. Yeah, I love the Mavs. I, I talked about them last week, and I was just like, I want to talk about them again because Luca's playing so well. But but uh, let's hit these let's hit these teams because these are some teams we have I haven't talked yet um, that much for the season so far. So um, truth be told, our rescheduling here worked out perfectly because uh, the Clippers got to play Paul George and Kawhi for the first time, so we got to see that together. But before we get to that, let's start with the team that you're obviously most familiar with, the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis seem to fit well, like expected. But these role players are playing better than I thought, dude. Like, the minutes from Howard and McGee have been amazing. Um, the only thing that really that really uh, has me just intrigued, I don't know if it's it's not necessarily a concern. It's more of just an intrigue. So I really want to get your shot at this um, because you're somebody who really knows the numbers very well. Um, they're shooting less threes than I expected than a traditional LeBron team does. Just overall, like, what is your assessment of the of the shots that they're taking and the looks that they're getting so far? Is it is it something to be encouraged about? Are you concerned? How are, how are you feeling about that? I think overall it's been okay. Um, they have the talent out there, and they're able to do enough just with LeBron and Anthony Davis that create a good number of what I'd say are quality shots either for them or for their teammates. Um, it hasn't been the same, you know, LeBron Cavs really spread it out with good shooters and you have your two-man action and you if somebody gets to the rim or you get an open three it hasn't quite been that and a big piece of that has been the fact that the LeBron James Anthony Davis pairing together in actions at the same time hasn't really been as effective as we would have thought um, maybe not directly uh, if they run a pick and roll a lot of teams are just switching it yeah. um, so LeBron's not really getting to the rim directly from it Anthony Davis isn't really rolling. We're not getting those highlight LeBron to AD plays. Yeah. And because he's not getting those rolls, that's not sucking in the defense and not opening up shooters in the corners. So that's led to a lot of mismatched ISOs for LeBron or mismatched ISO post-ups for Anthony Davis. So they're, they're getting okay shots in advantageous situations. But like you said, the shot profile hasn't been exactly what we would have expected, nor have the volume of LeBron to AD like lob dunks or good pick and roll plays. So it's it hasn't quite been what we would have hoped, but it's it's worked. But there's definitely room for room for improvement. Um, and I think and, and Frank Vogel has acknowledged that. So I think that's good. It's it's not great right now. The scheme hasn't been fantastic, but at least it, Vogel's acknowledging that. And he's I think smartly pointed out the specific areas that I would agree need to improve. So hopefully we'll see more in those areas moving forward. So I think, and in, in the thing is, if you can be 12-2 and two and not have things clicking offensively and be working and improving game by game, that's a great place to yeah. be. Maybe a lot different if they were like 6-8 and eight and mm -hmm. having these problems. But 12-2, and two, they have a little bit of a buffer. Um, they've, they've finished games very well, and they've played much better to start the season than I would have expected with as many new pieces as they have. And... If you told me the scheme wasn't great and this was their record, I, I it's it's insane, man. It's been great, and their defense has been fantastic too. Yeah, I want to get to their defense, but let me just follow up with you on the on specifically the, the LeBron AD pick and roll because you bring up a very interesting point um, about about their pick and roll and just how 
vital it is to unlocking the rest of their offense. Um, so do you are are you looking at it though um, because of the switches that they're doing and all of that? Are you are you remaining optimistic that they can uh, that that pick and roll LeBron and AD pick and roll will improve over this season, or are you looking at it like? This is what it. This is likely what it's going to be, and we have to. The Lakers have to find uh, different ways to different shots to create for for their other players. I think they'll need to be creative because as long as you have like LeBron at the three and Davis at the four, or LeBron at the four and Davis at the five, in all likelihood, those defenders will be able to switch. Yeah, and it they they can still take advantage of it with post ups. Um, for either player or with LeBron driving, and they've done that so far, and it's mm-hmm. and it's generated decent offense, and they've been a good offense so far. But I wouldn't expect teams to suddenly start defending that differently because I think teams are more happy to concede. You know, you give them the switch, and then LeBron dribbles the ball back out and resets, and then tries to size a guy up. And by the time the Lakers are attacking, there are six seconds left on the clock. That's a little bit better than immediately getting a lob dunk. We're immediately sucking in all the defense with Anthony Davis rolling and having guys open for threes. So the Lakers should expect what they're seeing to continue. For them, it's just a matter of being more creative and finding other ways to get those two players involved in getting good shots and generating good offense. Um, and and I can rattle off a couple different ideas that I have that that might work in that way. But at a certain point, you have to be happy knowing that you can generate good offense without needing to force those two guys to be in a pick and roll. They'll need to be able to accept that and move forward from it if they want to make something different happen. They can still do what they're doing, and it can still work, and there are ways mm-hmm. to tweak, tweak the attack, but the defense that they're seeing is going to continue. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that. That's probably the most logical thing because, like you said, it's not it's not your traditional one-in-five pick and roll where – you know where where it's a point guard, uh, where it's a point guard in the center, and it's such a drastic uh, punishment if you switch. Uh, it's more of like you said, being with threes and fours, and how versatile the three and four position is in the NBA. And if Davis is insistent on playing the four uh, for as much as possible, then I think it's going to continue to be something that defenses are absolutely uh, absolutely fine with switching. But yeah, I mean, all all this being said, they're still ninth in offensive rating in the league. Um, they're still they're still a, a a good offensive team, and they're they're within a hair of being you know of being top five really. So uh, they're they're a great offensive team, but the defense is really what's uh is really what's been kicking. They've been number one for a majority of the season. They just now slipped to second in defense uh and that's probably the biggest reason why they have the biggest net rating in the league is there is their absolutely def- their defense has just been incredible and it's it's shocked me uh what is it about the defense that's working so well why is this lakers defense been so good they have a lot of good talented defensive players and they've gotten a good bit of defense from guys who were question marks going into the year uh, Dwight Howard has been just fantastic and not yep. just at standing at the rim and putting his hands up and, and using verticality or trying to block shots. Um, he's not he's not playing the Roy Hibbert role in uh, an Indiana Pacer Frank Vogel defense. Right. The, the, this defense isn't funneling guys to him. He's mm-hmm. actually able to move his feet and, and step up and hedge and keep uh, ball handlers from 
you know, dribbling through him or dribbling by him, and they're stymieing attacks to the rim before they get to the rim, which is important. Um, so, so that's something he's been able to add. Not as much with JaVale McGee, but McGee and Howard are both pretty good uh, individual rim protectors. So that, that interior defense is strong for both of them. And then the Lakers have gotten really good contributions from LeBron James defensively, which I think is big. He, he was a good defender last year, and, and we can make fun of specific plays where he kind of took a play off. Right. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's some of like the, yeah, I'd rather somebody, I don't know. I don't know if I'd rather somebody get confused or be lost than just not care. Um, but there were some of those plays that it seemed like he took off last year. And he, he rightfully got some blame for it, but it wasn't representative of his full season. Mm-hmm. This year we haven't had that. And he's been engaged. He's been getting steals. He's been getting blocks. He's where he needs to be. And he has guys like D- uh, Dwight Howard behind him who have won Defensive Player of the Year awards communicating well. And just the defense as a whole has has done a good job shutting down opposing teams' actions without needing to switch a whole lot. And I think that's been an important thing because you can't just run a quick pick and roll, get a switch, and then you know hunt uh, whichever matchup you want and then go at somebody against right. this Laker defense. They haven't been conceding it too quickly. And I think that's important. Not that they, they, it may be the right move to switch on certain occasions, but the fact that they don't need to bodes well for them. It, it, it's good that they have several decent options that they can go with. Um, and then you also have guys like Alex Caruso, who's a very good defender. You've got guys like KCP and Avery Bradley, who at specific things are very good defensively. Mm-hmm. Danny Green, another guy that very good defensively, not the greatest on-ball point of attack defender, but excellent help defender, excellent even defending at the rim a little bit. Yeah, um, that's been crazy. <laughs> so he's and he even had a crazy uh, highlight put back dunk the other day. So they they've got guys who are very good in specific defensive roles and Vogel's done a good job keeping them together. They've communicated well and and I mean like you said their their defense is really what's carrying that net rating being as high as it is. Um and even offensively, I know we we touched on the LeBron AD pick and roll and how it's not going perfectly the way we would have hoped but when those two guys are on the court together the Lakers have still been an excellent offense same with when it's just been LeBron their issue and what they need to figure out is how do we run this offense when LeBron's off the court but Anthony Davis is on the court Um, because they can you know post them up a bunch but that's he's he's not going to be facilitating a ton from the post they're not running a ton of actions they don't have any real good pick and roll ball handlers outside of LeBron um, you can put Rondo out there, but it's not not quite the same. So they need to figure out the scheme and the X's and O's for the Anthony Davis run lineups, and they need to do a better job of getting him good looks within those lineups. But if they can fix that, the defense is clicking, the offense when LeBron's on the court has been very good, and the Lakers are looking like a title contender so far this year. Absolutely, man. They've been playing just flat-out incredible. I've been really surprised with uh, just how that, just how well they played, especially defensively, like like we just spoke on. Um, the offense is interesting. Um, going back to that, w- what you brought up about the 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 non LeBron minutes, I find I find that very intriguing too. It does seem like it also just seems like from a from just a, a pure eye test point of view, um, it does seem like a lot of times, like even the Lakers themselves are a little bit just, they look a little unfamiliar when LeBron's not on on the court and it's being run through Davis. Like everybody looks a little less certain of 
what they're doing, where they're supposed to be, all of that. Just because I think I I, I think Fitty Davison is is um, as like as the key guy when LeBron's out. It's just been a little bit of an adjustment period for for the Lakers, but I I do think they'll fix they'll fix that or they'll they'll work that out. Uh, what one last thing on the Lakers before we jump to the Clippers here that I find very interesting is the is the load management conversation. We've seen the Clippers and other teams doing load management. Um, how how do you feel about how the Lakers have been going? You talked about how LeBron is much more engaged defensively, which I agree, uh, which is which is a great thing as we're seeing. It's it's leading them to win more games. But again, it's it's the the fine line of of being at your best in April while still being good enough now to to carry yourself through the season. So that being said, I mean with Davis, Davis has had minor injuries here and there. How are you feeling about the Lakers handling the the load management aspect of LeBron and Anthony Davis? Are you concerned? Are you fine with it? Or are you not really thinking about it that much? I'm concerned just from how important those two guys are to this team and how quickly things could go downhill without mm-hmm. one or both of them, specifically LeBron. If if we have an Anthony Davis plus the rest of the Lakers, but without LeBron, this it's a very, very different team. Um, yes. LeBron and everybody without AD, I think, can still be a very good team and, and get into a decent position for, for the playoffs. What is... I guess the way I think about it is... I mean, I've worked for companies where they've got these machines digitized where, I don't know, we've got an engine or you've got a some sort of system that will need maintenance. You've got a, a plane or a truck or a car or whatever. You're gonna, you know it'll need maintenance eventually, but you mm-hmm. can use the right monitoring. You can be checking in on things. You maybe even have analytics involved and you can be more predictive about when there's a lot of stress being put on the whatever it is, the person, the car, whatever it happens to be. And you can be smarter about that and more proactive and understand how much you can push that person without going too far. And that's where I would hope the Lakers would take it. And I mean, you you can give that if, if they're clearly fatigued and you can monitor those types of things biometrically, have them sit out, give them a couple games, give them one game. We've seen Anthony Davis sit one game already. Mm -hmm. Um, If the signs are there, listen to it, listen to their bodies listen to the players. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be too cautious um, or, you know, cautious at your own detriment when, right. like, if if all of, if they are able to track how well Anthony Davis is moving and he's, I don't know, feeling fine, he's sleeping fine, everything, then I wouldn't be as worried about it. And you don't need to have him sit out an extra four or five, six games over the course of the year if, if it isn't really important. Um, if he doesn't need to be sitting those games is what I mean. Um, it's kind of like in an in-game, like a coach benching somebody automatically because they have a couple fouls. Right. They may not foul out anyway, but you're you're pretty much fouling them out yourself. If if you're benching them and you know, your 30 minutes per game guy is only going to play 20 minutes, um, it's as if he fouled out already. So you don't want to take that approach with the injuries um, or with the players if the injuries aren't there, but you do want to listen to their bodies. So it's a big concern because it could go downhill and it's a big concern for me because I know the Lakers as an organization, you know, publicly and privately haven't been super, uh, leaning forward 
with analytics medically or, or with other parts of the organization. So it is a concern, um, but we'll see how they manage it. As long as guys are feeling fine, that's okay. Um, but it's one of those things that you just don't know until it does go wrong. And if it doesn't go wrong, then I, I guess it worked out. So from right. our position, it's hard to judge um, mm-hmm. unless we're hearing about the process itself. But the results will tell us really what will happen at the end of the day. And the fact that Anthony Davis is already feeling shoulder pain and they're playing him through it is something that you can say, hey, well, that's not good. He should be resting. But I don't know if that will help. There may be certain things that, you know, you're going to play with pain and you can't really make it worse with a specific injury. It is. And in that case, fine. Keep playing him. Um, if it if it would help to rest him from a – you know, making it worse standpoint or making it better, quicker standpoint than, than rest the player. But that's, it's hard to judge from here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you're saying, you know, especially, especially with the, uh, with the playing through pain that you, that you just mentioned, like at the end of the day, um, you know, not every little, um, pain or injury is worth, uh, is worth resting, for or requires resting i should say is probably the better way of putting it but yeah i i agree with you i just wanted to get your perspective on that because uh because it is something that obviously is very important to them and both with lebron being at his age and davis having his history um it's something that's going to be monitored and it's going to be probably overly monitored by the nba media and the nba landscape but um but but I just wanted to get your genuine uh, your genuine take on on the level of I guess faith that you have in the front office to be to to be executing the right plan when it comes to uh, and making those right decisions when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, yeah. I, my faith in the front office is still still pretty shaky, um, <laughs> and we'll we'll see how things play out the rest of the year. But so far, winning and a lack of injuries and a lack of you know, front office moves or lack thereof has kept people quiet about Rob Palenka in, in the front office so far. But we know that there are other political forces going on behind the scenes and, and yeah. the Rambuses are now part of the bunch. And it's there, there may be things happening that just haven't had their negative impact yet, but don't bode well for the franchise. And it'll it'll just take time to find out. Um, but with the injuries thing, I mean, they're already playing Anthony Davis through being hurt. So whether or not that's the right move, there will be something to point out right there for people if Anthony Davis does get hurt more seriously and it's at all related to the, his current shoulder issues. Right yeah. move or not, they're going to have something to point out and say, you should have rested him earlier in the year. In the, in the year. Right, right. And that's why, and that's why, hey, man, at the end of the day, like you, like you said, there's those concerns, but winning cures everything. So right now, all is good and all is good in uh in the Lakers side of the locker room. Let's jump to the other side of the locker room, and that is the Clippers. Um, the Clippers had by far probably the best game of the season, uh, or the most interesting game to watch of the season so far. This Paul George and Kawhi was it was their debut. They played Boston. Boston played them very well. Uh, my kind of takeaways are that Paul George and Kawhi, like they looked clunky together so far. Like they didn't seem to know where to be when the other had the ball, but also it was the role players too. I mean, if you think about it, these role players started, uh, playing last year where they were moving the ball, having to play through each other. 
and now they've had to adjust and they're having to play through two megastars, so they've had to acclimate the big two. So they have a lot to work out offensively. Um, I The turnovers were bad last night, but I don't think, I think that was, again, due to just the clunkiness and, and, and the huge, massive adjustment. I think people are underselling the offensive adjustment that the Clippers have to have to make but there's still no reason to believe this won't be an excellent offense just looking at how these players play and how they fit with each other and what what it seems like uh most players are willing to buy into their roles defensively they looked more cohesive than the offense what are your just thoughts from your one game snapshot takeaway of the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi together I think like you said it looked a little clunky and it makes sense that defensively they'd be able to get more into things quicker and, and look more smooth than they would offensively just because, you know, you have your team defense and, and people do their jobs and it's it's easier to put guys in and out. And if you're putting a guy in like Paul George, that's in, uh, has been fantastic. And then getting Kawhi back, um, getting mm-hmm. them both in at the same time, that's it's it's not difficult to integrate two guys of that caliber. Right. <laughs> Offensively, like you said, clunky, but I think the specific fit of these two is a little bit better than, um, I mean, maybe not as good as the LeBron AD pairing in terms of what you could do with them together in theory, Um, but I think it's a bit better than another duo we'll talk about later with James Harden and Russell Westbrook is that Paul George is a guy that going back to his Pacer days in Oklahoma City and, and even... So far this year with the Clippers, he's somebody that gets a relatively high proportion of his offense being off ball, either spotting up or coming off of screens. I think coming off of screens has been his second most used play type so far this year. Um, I think pick and rolls first and then coming off of like off ball screens. So like pin downs or flare screens, he's excellent at those. He's always been very good at those. So that's something you can have him do while Kawhi has the ball in his hands. And it fits together really well. It's not like he's just standing in the corner, which he can also do very well. Um, but he has more of a gravity moving off of those screens in like a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson type of way. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think he's that caliber of shooter, but it's that type of offensive attack that you know requires more defensive attention than if he were to just be standing still. Um, and looking to catch and shoot. So right. I think that's good. That'll help Kawhi on ball. Um, it'll generate more offense overall, better flow once they figure that all out. And I, and I trust Doc Rivers to figure out that offense because he's, for years, been a, a very good offensive uh, schematic coach, or at least his staff overall has been very strong. So mm-hmm. I think that'll work. Um, like you said, they have a lot of role players, lots of guys that play, lots of guys that are important, and they've had their roles in the past and they've they've gotten a good flow of things and you know integrating another star player takes a little bit of time for that but the bench lineup should be able to keep doing what's what it's doing um Ivica Zubats has been pretty strong defensively for the team and a good you know finisher um so I think the the Clippers that they have been playing okay I think they can play a lot better um saw in the first game of the year what they can look like against the Lakers we saw last night what they can look like and it it was kind of like a playoff type game um and I'd say Kawhi honestly has come out of the game uh come out of the gate pretty slow so I think him offensively can be much better although he's been fantastic defensively so they have a lot of room for improvement 
and they've already been playing like a 50-win team, at least according to our data. So there's room for upside, and, and they've shown a pretty good floor while pretty much having one of their top two players out for pretty much the whole year so far. Yeah, and that's why, and that's exactly why this Clippers team is just so, uh, it's so easy to pick them as the favorite right now, just because it, it it's it's one of those it's one of those teams that's just built so well to the point where everything we talked about, they they just look the best on paper, um, as far as like as far as like it just it makes the most sense for a basketball fan to look at the Clippers roster and be like, yeah. This is a team that can. Uh, this is a team that should that should be a title favorite. Uh, but yeah, watching the film and watching these guys play together, uh, I don't see there's any reason why they can't get better on both ends of the floor. But particularly offensively, for all of the reasons that we that we mentioned, I like that you brought up the Paul George off ball because that was exactly what I was going to bring up was the fact that he is a he is a excellent off ball player off screens. Um, and that will that will like you said greatly help Kawhi, uh, who will who will most likely be the the dominant ball handler of of this team. Uh, I think he'll he'll handle the ball more than Paul George will just because of the fact that Paul is a better off ball player. But yeah, man, this is a this is a damn good team right now, and they're playing very well. I. One question I have for you, Tim, and this is a this is just a total question that um, that I don't know if either of us can come up with the answer, but it's a question that's in my head regardless. And that's just looking at this team. Um, they're obviously going to do a lot of load management. I think the Clippers are going to be far more progressive than the Lakers when it comes to load management this season, um, and just other championship teams. Uh, you look at you look at Harden saying he wants to play all the time. Giannis saying he wants to play all the time. So, uh, so a lot of players or a lot of teams around the league, uh, with the stars that a lot of the other contenders are seeming to not lean all the way into loan management quite the way the Clippers will. But with that being said, we, we talked about all these kinks that they have to work out. What are you, how many games do you think it really takes this, it, it will really take this team to, to come together? Do you think it's going to take, uh, very few because of just that there's a there's a good level of natural fit there or do you think that this is a team that's going to have to play um, together a lot to really to really get in sync I also I think with the full roster together it should only take like 10 games I, I think they've got a pretty good fit with those top mm-hmm. two guys with each other being able to work you know pressuring the defense at the same time on and off ball they have a lot of players on this team who know their roles and are strong in their roles. And there are, you know, ancillary attacks that this team has when it's not Paul George or Kawhi Leonard related, um, which is something that you can't really say about a team like the Lakers. Like if, if LeBron and AD aren't attacking, what is your next go-to? And I don't right. know the answer to that. And, and, I, and clearly it's not like a high-level attack. With the Clippers... Really easily, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, or you know, Lou Williams running off a pick and roll with somebody else. They can pass the ball well. They they get a good flow in their offense, and like those are high level attacks. So I think they've got a good floor for what they can do even without those top guys in there. But mm-hmm. I don't think it should take too too long. And by the time we get to the playoffs, it should. There, I mean, eighty two games is so many games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I have no question they'll be fine once they get to the playoffs, if assuming health. And mm-hmm. 
I would say that the Clippers, like you said with the load management, they're leaning a little bit more into it. And I think it's more of something they need to do than they're volunteering to do at their own detriment. Um, with what's happening with Kawhi, this is going to be something that's going to probably, you know, in all likelihood be happening for the rest of his career more so yeah. than like it'd be different if James Harden or Giannis were just like, all right, you know, I'm perfectly fine right now, but you know, let's just give me a game off every now and then they don't need to say that. And they don't want to do that because they've been fine so far. Whereas Kawhi right. has a necessity to, to pursue that kind of load management. And I think it's at his benefit, the team's benefit. And I think they're fine going into the playoffs, not being the top seed, maybe not being a top two or three seed, um, as long as those guys are healthy and they get there and everything's clicking. So their path and their motivations are probably not the same as some of the other teams who are just trying to win as many games as they can and, and hope they're healthy. The, the Clippers are going to need to really manage the health of their team. Very well said. All right, Houston. Um, the question is, what do we make of them? Their defense went from league worst to 15th. That's an amazing, amazing jump, despite the, the multiple injuries that they've been dealing with. Uh, but is it really that simple? Because Is it really that simple to explain their jump from their terrible start of the season to now being... Um, I believe they've won eight of their last ten. Let me double-check that here right now. Um, yeah, they've won eight of their last ten games, and they are 11-4 and four now. So this jump happened uh, maybe a little bit sooner than I thought. Uh, this kind of feels like Houston repeating last year where they had the slow start and Harden took them over, but that was a little bit, a little bit later in the year when that happened. But still, um, is it just as simple as this team went from the worst defensive team in the league to middle of the pack? Is that is that really all it is when it comes to this team, or is there there more to why this team is playing uh, much better? I'd say that the defense is certainly a big part of it. Um, when you're going from being as bad as they were in the past, you just had to be incredible offensively, and and they really were. Yeah. Um, so they were able to withstand that, but. Having just an okay defense along with an incredible offense is just a different a different echelon of play. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that is encouraging for them. Um, they, I, I think, have taken a step back this year going from Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook. Maybe from a what, what the, the numbers are saying, what the data is saying. Um, and I don't think that too many people will disagree that Russell Westbrook hasn't quite had a, a great start to the year. Um, here's just some info I saw Mike Zivagno tweet today um, about Russell Westbrook. He's shooting 18.2% on two-and-a-half catch-and-shoot threes per game. Um, on all threes, he's shooting under 23%. He's shooting 27% on all of his jump shots. And he has his lowest true shooting percentage and points per shot since 2009-2010. So literally in the past decade, this is the worst he has shot on his jump shots. And... Like he's still good driving at the rim, but overall, his his points per possession in the half court is the second lowest of any high usage player. Um, he's been trending down in our data for a while. If we look at his impact data with our player impact plus minus, he's consistently been been dropping. Um, he he overall offense or I'm sorry overall as a player offense and defense, 
2017 used to be a plus seven points per hundred possessions player, which is very, very good. That mm-hmm. dropped to a four, plus 4.6 to a plus 3.1. And this year it's a plus 0.8. So he's been about wow. average. So for a high volume guy to be pretty much treading water, it's not quite what you would hope for what you're paying him. Um, yeah. And it's incredible that he's been able to play so well and get to the rim and score well at the rim with how poor of a shooter he's been. So I would I would hope that that would improve, but that's just such a, a stark contrast from what Chris Paul has been able to do over his career, has been doing this year with the Thunder, um, and even with what he did last year with Houston. So I think they took a step back there, but the offense, like I'm sorry, the defense, like you said, has been quite a bit better. Um, if we look at their luck adjusted defensive, excuse me, luck adjusted defensive rating, they're at a 108.5 which would be, let me check, that would be 17th in the league. So they've been a little bit luckier than that. Um, but, I mean, 15th to the 17th is not a not a huge difference. So the right. defense, at least according to our numbers, checks out. It's legit. They're not a bottom of the, the league defensive team. Um, and I think that's big for them. So James Harden's going to keep doing what he's doing. If, if he were his own team, if you take his data off the Rockets – he has scored the most isolation points of any team in the league um, wow. by a full 64 points over the second-place team. So he's Jeez. he's on, very on-brand. He is doing what he does <laughs> and is very, very good at it. And the Rockets are playing well. Um, another team, we, we have them playing like a 54-win team so far. So uh, Harden being Harden, the defense picking up. Even with Westbrook not quite being what you would hope, they've still been playing like a pretty good team. So definitely not – don't discount them. They still have their holes, but overall they've been pretty strong. Yeah, the interesting thing about Westbrook in particular is that I actually thought that we would – that I, I expected, like you said, a, a general – there's a general trend of – uh, going downwards. There's a general general downward trend, if I can say that word correct, if I can say that phrase correctly here. Uh, there's a general downward tr- trend going on with Westbrook, but I still expected one of the things that he would progress in is three point percentage, just because in that offense, like you you assumed he would get better looks because of the better floor spacing than he had in Oklahoma, uh, at least especially the post Durant years. Um, but I, I'm really surprised by his lack of of three point shooting there that it that has continued to traject downward as well. Do you think do you think that that three point percentage should go up? Like, were you optimistic about his three point percentage as far as as far as like the increase of it, or or do you think that this is just a general downward uh, trend that we're going to continue to see? Well, I'm going to stall for like ten seconds while I pull up my spreadsheet. But um, no problem. <laughs> but so so I don't think he'd be shooting quite this bad. And like you said, I mean, one would think going into a situation like he's going into this year that he'd get stronger quality looks and mm-hmm. be able to maybe get some easier shots up, make some more threes. There's always going to be a bit of variance between really how good of a shooter you are and what your three point shooting percentage is. Um, just with normal variance and then also with how hard the shots are that you're taking. There's a lot of situational factors that that play a role there. 
Um, so yeah. perhaps he would be shooting a bit better from a percentage standpoint than he has in the past, even if his shooting talent has stayed the same. Where the concern is for me is that his shooting talent has, even once adjusting for how difficult the shots are that he's been taking over his career, just like his one-on-one scoring ability, his perimeter shooting talent, at least according to our talent uh, grade over at B-Ball Index, has been going down the past couple of years. Um, st- still trying to load the spreadsheet. I have like 14 tabs <laughs> open at once. Um, but I know that it wasn't a great rating. And that would mean that even with you know higher quality looks, he wouldn't quite be shooting in like the high 30 percentages. But shooting 23% is just absurd. So I think he can do better than that. Um, but if the catch and shoot three-point shooting percentage is going to continue to be low, that's really going to hurt the Rockets all year long because if you can start playing Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook like you can play like Rajon Rondo and just kind of leave him, that, that doesn't help your team. Um, okay, his, his grades finally pulled up. He was a C-plus last year, so not awful. That's, that's good enough. That should be strong enough that you need to guard him and he's still able to knock down those shots. So mm-hmm. the, I think I would say based off of those, and he's had consistently Bs and B minuses over his career, and then that C plus last year, I would think that he should bounce back up, and he'll be hitting more threes moving forward. Okay, man, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that optimism when it comes to Russell Westbrook because uh, quite frankly, quite frankly, there hasn't been much optimism around Westbrook the last couple of years as far as a general media consensus there, but. Yeah, I think Houston is a team that they're they're going to just be good off the sheer fact of the talent of Harden and Westbrook. And if their defense is, like you said, uh, sustainable or at least legit right now, um, uh, sustainable might be another question, but the fact that it is legit right now is a huge, huge win for me um, as far as far as uh, Houston Rockets perspective. So I think that this is a team, like you said, if everything checks out, this is a team that's 50 wins and um, can make some noise. The, the concerns are there for them to, to get over the hump in the playoffs. But as of right now, they, they check out to be a good team. And, uh, and I'm, glad, I'm glad that your numbers confirm what I'm seeing here. Uh, the, the Suns is an interesting team that I really want to talk about because I haven't talked about them yet at all this season. And... They're seven and six right now. They're in the playoffs. Uh, they lost DeAndre Ayton, my beloved DeAndre Ayton. I have him on my fantasy team, and they lost <laughs> him to P uh, to a suspension for suspected PEDs um, or a failed a failed drug test. I believe it was actually the thing he was taking was um, something was not a PED, but something that covers the drugs in your system, right? If I'm like, a, like a diuretic or something, trying to get him yes. out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I believe that was what it was. Was diuretic, and so yeah, so they've been they've been relying heavily on Baines, but this team has been playing very very well. I love the way they whipped the ball around. Ricky Rubio has been a uh, an even more of a help than than I thought he would be. I I really I really liked him fitting in Phoenix just because I liked Devin Booker having somebody else um somebody else that he can, can that he can give the ball to to control the offense I, I've been a long Ricky Rubio fan 
So I, I thought that that was a good pairing from the jump, but it's been even better than I expected. Um, Kelly Oubre has been playing much, much better than I expected. And Aaron Baines, man, uh, it's not too late to throw him in the MVP conversation, man. The way he's playing, he's been so awesome defensively. In that Lakers game, he was he was incredible for stretches um, when, he, when he was out there. The Suns team, the, the only thing that is concerning is that they're relying so much on Baines defensively. But this is a team that they look like they check out. We talk about with Houston, we talked about, you know, is their defense legit? Is their, is their offense legit? This, this, and that. Um, Phoenix is a team that they, they, look like, they look like a legitimate 7-6 and six team right now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we mentioned sustainability with Houston and the defense. And I think sustainability is a really big question with the Suns so far because, I mean, it's it's a smaller sample. We've only seen about a dozen games, but the numbers check out. The process, the style of play checks out. The people they're getting performances from, for the most part, checks out. Um, Aiton's not even there. I think in a way Aiton being out has helped specific ways in that they've had more big men playing that are better shooters than Aiton, and they've been able to space the floor a little bit better. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how they play once he's back. But with Baines out there, I mean, Baines, you know, just picking and popping has scored one and a half points per possession this year. Wow. Um, so, he like, great. <laughs> keep keep it yeah. up. Um, and he's been, he's been a legit pop guy. He's been a legit role man spacing out. He's been strong. Um, he's not a huge post, post scorer, but he scored well in the post. So like he's been just making everything he could be taking so far offensively um, while still staying within his role. So that's helped a lot. And they have some strong players with like Mikel Bridges or Ricky Rubio that have been very solid defensively. I think Rubio getting onto this team and being able to carry some of the load on ball has helped Devin Booker play off ball. And we've seen Booker getting a lot more cutting opportunities and getting dump offs where he's just kind of, you know, around the rim and somebody finds him and he, he lays the ball up. Those are things that yeah. he wasn't doing in years past because they just didn't have guys that could get him the ball. Um, whereas this year, Ricky Rubio has been able to do that. Kelly Oubre has been able to do that a little bit. And Oubre has been great, highly impactful within his role, even while most of that's just kind of driven by his slashing ability and just raw athleticism. So they've gotten a couple pretty good performances from several different players. And I think Monty Williams has, he was, he was a question mark of mine going into the year. Cause we haven't seen mm-hmm. him run an offense um, or at least be head coach of a team since the 2013, 2014 season. Um, and I mean, the things you were doing then you can't really be doing now. It's a, it was a different era and we've seen right. him adjust. We've seen him adapt and they've done a pretty good job of making the most of the pieces they have. So they don't have the full chess set, but they're making the most of what they have available to them. And from a data standpoint, we have them playing like a 48-win team so far without DeAndre Ayton. So wow. it, it's, it looks legit. They, there's nothing in their data profile that looks incredibly finicky or like, oh, wow, they're shooting way over their heads or opponents are missing threes way more than they should. Like it's, it's just looked like solid basketball so far. So it's, it's been a really fun team to watch and and i mean they're not winning all their games but right now they're in the playoff picture and i would 
say that's the new expectation, which is not something that we would have said going into the year. No, in fact, I think on our podcast, our division preview podcast, I think we were, uh, I think I think we both hit the over, if I remember, uh, just because the over was low. But I don't think either one of us thought that they were uh, that they were a playoff team by any stretch of the imagination. Yep. Uh, you mentioned the cutting, which was really uh, which was really a fantastic point because that was something that I really noticed about is uh, well they were playing the Lakers specifically. Man, they were just killing it off of the cuts every every time. Um, especially early on in that first quarter, the first quarter of that game, they were they were just beating them. Kelly Oubre, Devin Booker were just beating them to the basket off these off these cuts from the perimeter, and uh, I just like the way they play. You know, it looks they they move the ball well. Um, they're cutting, they're doing off ball things, which is always what you need to do to have a sustainable offense or a credible offense, I should say, um, and then defensively you know my concern again is that they rely too much on Baines I'm a little bit more optimistic when it comes to DeAndre Ayton returning I think defensively or I guess just overall maybe than you because you know you mentioned the four spacing which is a huge thing um, that DeAndre Ayton does not does not provide to the level of Baines, Kaminsky, Saric but I, I think that he will be vital for them defensively to have just another, at least another somewhat, somewhat uh, reliable interior presence, because I don't, I haven't checked the numbers recently, but I don't project, or I don't expect uh, Frank Kaminsky to project as a very, very uh, decent rim defender right now. I mean, has has his stats been something like? overachieving is that something you could look up because i'm actually curious now that i mention it i haven't looked at his i guess the percentage of made shots against him at the rim and and we haven't run our talent grades for the season yet i'm still collecting data Mm -hmm. and we should have those out in the next month but i can tell you that historically in our database kaminsky's (laughs) been a guy that for a big man he's been better as a perimeter defender than he has been as an interior defender um, compared to other bigs. So, I mean, right. overall, he's still obviously, you know, much better at defending the rim than, than moving his feet. But compared to other centers, other power forwards, he's not the rim protector. The, the, just right. like you're saying, he's not that guy. Um, yeah. And he's been not that guy to the point where he's been a, a little bit better as a perimeter defender. So, yeah, the, they will benefit perhaps not from an offensive spacing standpoint with eight and back, but defensively having and again Aiden wasn't quite that anchor but he should be mm-hmm. better than Kaminsky defending the rim yeah I would I would agree I, I would agree that Aiden will at least be at least be better than Kaminsky and at least invite provide some interior and another thing that another reason I'm optimistic uh about Aiden's return and I know I, I'm not trying to say that you that you're not optimistic I guess I'm just looking at it from um just say just say I think I think what he brings defensively will be uh will be a more value than uh than say like having the fifth shooter because I think they will play they'll do some interesting things they'll probably play Baines and Aiton together a little bit um for for some stretches here they'll they'll have uh, either one of Kamitsky or Saric usually with Aiton again just to space the floor uh, but another thing that I find interesting about Phoenix is that their rebound percentage, they're near the bottom of the league. They're 23rd in rebound percentage right now. And 
DeAndre is clearly going to help that as well. So I think that so I think that overall, looking at just the 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 ability of just having another another somewhat capable rim protector, um, and I know Aiden's a uh, Aiden's a young player, so you can't expect great rim protection from him, but just his size alone should uh, provide better interior defense than than their other options that aren't named Aaron Baines. So with that and the rebounding and just and just having another just capable player on the in the rotation especially in the front line is going to be i think huge for phoenix and i think that they i think that they do they're 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 real playoff team right now like i don't know if they'll end up being a playoff team i'm surprised that the sacramento kings have come from the dead and some other teams have been uh have been off to slow starts that i'm not totally yet ready to write off but uh right now phoenix i mean they're 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 a near playoff team. Like if you if you had to if you had to project out based on what you're seeing, you you would probably assume you would probably more than likely bet your money on them being a playoff team, right? I say so. And and if I had needed to bet my money, I would certainly bet more on that team than I would on Luke Walton leading <laughs> any team. Um, <laughs> I, I, most of which the, the the Sacramento Kings team. So yeah, I don't know. A Luke Walton team underachieving. No, doesn't um, sound familiar. It wouldn't be. It, listen, it it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a collab with you, Tim, on the podcast if you didn't at least uh, mention Luke Walton underachieving at least once. I, I hope he figures it out. But it's yeah. it's been a real big breath of fresh air to have a guy like Frank Vogel, who again I don't think is very good schematically, offensively, but he's made tweaks throughout the year that have been smart when it comes to the rotations and how they're using specific players and recognizing issues and solving them relatively quickly so it's you know i don't know it's it's been nice i don't have to worry about that every day it's a lot (laughs) less stress on my plate and i feel for king's fans and i've been talking to king's fans and i think they have a lot of talent on their team um but i think they maybe even played a little bit over their heads last season compared to what their wins should have been so this year, going to Luke Walton, they might be underperforming what their talent would say they should be winning. Um, so it might be a substantial drop-off overall. But like you said, they've been surging a little bit recently, and they're, they're right back in the playoff hunt. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that's exactly what I mentioned. I agreed with you in the, in the preseason. You and I were both bullish on the Kings for, the, for that reason, um, we thought. But... You know, you just gotta lean into this Luke Walton thing, man. Like I know you try you, you did a nice little save there. You gave the you gave the Kings some credit, but you might just have to lean in at this point and just be like, you know what, Kings, sorry, but I just gotta I just gotta fully root against you as long as that man's there. I I don't try to root against teams, but it's I don't know. It's it's good to know people are out there still doing what they do. <laughs> Well said, Tim. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Greatly appreciate talking some some hoops with you. Glad we got to talk to the top of the Western Conference here. That was that was a fun that was a fun switch up from the last side of the podcast, which I equally enjoyed. But again, it's always funner. It's always more fun to talk losers than win, or winners than losers, I should say. Uh, why don't you go and put ahead and plug all the stuff you got? I know you mentioned the talent grades coming out soon. Uh, what else can we expect from you, Basketball Index, and the Basketball Index podcast, and all the stuff that you do? Yeah, for sure. So we have a lot going on at the site. Um, we're going to have some good written content coming out 
Um, we, we've got a, a small team of writers that are producing some high-quality stuff. We've, we've tried to tone the volume down and really focus in on quality and try to be really collaborative about how we come up with ideas and researching for them and equipping our, our very talented writers with the best environment, with experts and data and film to help them produce some really you know high-quality stuff. So go check that out. We've got free articles at the site, lots of good free data. You can check out our uh, player impact plus minus stuff. Like you mentioned, the player talent grades um, we have available on the site for from the 2013 to 2017 seasons. Um, and then last year's and this year's well, – so, so last year's is available in our data and tools package. This year's will be available soon. And we have a lot of really good stuff in that. We have a $5 per month data and tools package that I think at this point has like 30 different interactive spreadsheets, all kinds of cool stuff. We have a cool lineups tool. We have all kinds of info on player gravity and uh, lineup gravity and uh, luck-adjusted ratings that try to tease out the variance and luck that – you might see from the the shots going in or out, but look more so at the process that give players or teams or lineup success. So there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, go check that out. We just launched launched a gravity app for our college players. So we have NBA, WNBA, and now NCAA, where you can generate these really cool 3D graphics and like click and drag and rotate them around. Um, so go go check out the site's uh, Twitter. It's at the underscore b-ball underscore index and you can see exactly what i'm talking about we have we have tweets every single day previewing the different tools that are available at the site and in in our five dollar package so check that out and then the other thing we have going on is our gambling um we have picks that go to the public every day at i think it's 1 p.m it might be 2 p.m um and so far on the year against closing spreads closing lines um we've gotten 71 games correct and lost 35 so that's 67%, 67%, so about about as well as we could have started the year. Um, I would not guarantee 67% accuracy for the full year, but uh, it's decent volume so far, and, and things have gone really well. So off to a good start. Hopefully we can have a really good year there with the gambling. Um, and, and, you know, make, make you some money. You'll certainly make your probably make your $5 back that you'd spend on the data package. So go enjoy <laughs> some good written content. Uh <laughs> enjoy the good data and tools and then make your money back from our gambling package. Yeah, man. Tim, as always, you got a lot of stuff to promote, but I love all the stuff you do. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very cool stuff. This, this was a good one, Chris. Thanks for having me on. No problem, Tim. You know you're always welcome and you know you'll be back soon whenever your schedule allows it. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Take it easy. Let's go Lakers. Go Lakers. <laughs>